Ephesians chapter 2 is going to be our text. I'm super excited about the whole thing. Um, I'm excited because it's going to be controversial. I'm excited because it's going to be worship-inducing. I'm excited because it's going to mean change, changes of heart, changes of thinking. Sometimes change is painful, but if it's for the best, for, if it's for the best, we welcome the change, even amidst the, the difficulty. Couldn't be more thrilled to be doing Ephesians 2 today. Last week we did Ephesians 1. If you weren't here, I would encourage you to listen and get caught up. Uh, we're doing sort of a jet tour of, of Ephesians, not in one sitting, but in six, because there are six chapters. Why? Because Ephesians is a great introduction to Christianity. It's a great introduction to the whole Bible, really, because it puts old and new together. It's a great reminder. Um, it's just awesome. It's simple. It's complex. It's good for old Christians. It's good for new Christians. It's good for non-Christians. Um, but it really kind of brings everything and puts it into perspective. So I'm pretty thrilled about us looking at this. My iPad was busy crashing at the beginning of the service, and so I had to go get a, I had to go get an old-fashioned Bible just to make sure I had one. I thought. Of all Sundays for my iPad to crash, I wouldn't even care. Um, because when you look at Ephesians chapter 2, um, it's not like you need a lot of notes. Um, it's just rich and awesome and in your face. And it's going to be awesome. I can't wait. It's going to be so good. Okay, let's go ahead and jump right in. No real outline. Don't need an outline for this. Um, it would maybe just get in the way. But let's go ahead and look at the opening four verses, uh, opening three verses to begin. It says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, And you were dead. Chapter 1 teaches us this is writing to Christians. You were dead in the trespasses of and sins. Okay, violations. You were spiritually dead. He doesn't mean physically dead. You were spiritually dead. Let's keep going. In which you once walked. So again, there's conduct, there's action, following the course of this world, not following God, your creator, but following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, satanic. Three, among whom we all, notice it's universal, it's inclusive, the Bible is so universal, it's so inclusive, just not in the ways we want it to be. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, or lusts of our flesh, we were controlled by, by that, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. And I reference that passage so often. I wonder even if I reference that passage more often than any other passage. And Christians talk about this all the time. Why? Well, the reason we do is because if we don't understand that, and Paul knows if they don't understand that, they'll never understand grace. We're going to get to the grace part, right? We're going to get to the part we like to talk about. But if we don't understand our condition apart from God's intervention, we'll think grace is like a reward for good behavior. Uh, we'll think grace is somehow something other than it is. Sometimes theologians like to say grace, and we'll get to the grace part. But in context, grace isn't only unearned favor, 
Because that's assuming that we're just neutral. It's not only unearned favor, it's demerited. It's anti-earned. I mean, we're we're in a hostile uh, environment. We're hostile against God, and He gives us salvation in His Son. It's not like God says, oh, since they're all doing nothing, I'm going to give them something. No, it's they're dead in trespasses and sins, and they're following Satan's lead, and they're following their own desires, and they're not following me. I'm going to give them something. That's why I like to say in the sermon titles, grace is even better than you, than you think it is. But, but the, the American way, the evangelical way, the pop culture way, is to look at people as inherently what? Is inherently good. Or, or maybe we'll go to the neutral side. But that's not what the Bible teaches. That's not what our lives prove. We're not inherently good. We might be relatively good because we're not as bad as some of those other kind of people. But, but we're not inherently good. And so he gives us the bad news that we're spiritually dead. And so we're ready for condemnation. What's fair? Fair is that God would condemn us. Because we're a bunch of Satan followers, if we know it or not. We're not good people. I told some of you this story, but I haven't said it from this pulpit, so I will, to kind of put things in everyday context and how we typically think. This summer, on a Wednesday night, I was in a group bike ride, like a training racing ride, and we're at 72nd and State Street, coming toward this church building, and we cross the street, there's a pretty big group of us, we're just kind of ending an intense kind of ride and a car cuts us off like big time and one of the people in the group just let that person have it it's just dressing them down and I'm riding along and one of my friends says what if that car turns into your church because we're we're riding right out here there's cars in the parking lot Wednesday night music practice different things he goes what if that car turns into your church and I just kind of laughed kept riding. He goes, no, really. What would you do? And I said, and it's one of those moments where I typically don't have the right answer in the heat of the moment, you know, and then once in a while you do, so you give God the credit for it. I had the perfect answer. I said, that church isn't for good people. He didn't know what to do with that, right? And he, he didn't, he didn't understand I said, you know, sometimes I even like to say uh, on a Sunday, how many, raise your hand today, and I'm telling this to my friend uh, riding our bikes, I even like to say, raise your hand today if you've sinned enough already today to deserve hell. I like it. Somebody put your hands up. I wasn't even asking you to. I know who the bad people are. Uh, <laughs> and some wives are going, yeah, my husband. Some of you were pointing at somebody else. That was kind of funny. <laughs> and he didn't know what to do with that either. He said, all right. He said, heck. I said, what? He goes, heck. I said, what are you talking about? He said, I definitely deserve heck. <laughs> Not hell, but heck. And I thought it was classic. It was just awesome. I was, I was so glad he said it. And I said, here's the deal. He, he said, you're not like some of my friends who go to a certain church, I won't name it, and they think everything is sin. And I said, 
I believe in relative good. Okay? People do good things, lowercase g, but no one loves God with heart, soul, mind, and strength, purely, perfectly, even with motives, and then loves their neighbor as themselves. It was pretty much the end of the conversation, and he was like, huh, okay. I tell you the story, because it's kind of a funny story, it's an interesting story, into how we typically think. I don't think my friend is an oddball. He just says it better than most people when he says, heck. Because we think we are somehow good. We're going to think salvation is a reward for good behavior. Maybe for relative good. I just want you to know Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1, 2, and 3 make it clear that no one deserves heaven. I almost said no one is good, no, not one, but I would be quoting Romans chapter 3 as a cross-reference. By nature, have we gotten to that part yet? Yeah. Children of wrath like the rest of mankind. I know that if you get that and grasp that, a lot of other things are going to fall into place. You're going to understand the cross better, maybe for the first time. You're going to understand yourself, that's for sure. You're going to have a biblical anthropology. I know when people are struggling with certain things and they can't understand this. And, and once they can have a biblical anthropology, a view of humanity, then all of a sudden everything else is like dominoes. Christianity won't make sense. Christ won't make sense. The broken world around you won't make sense. Life won't make sense. Unless you understand that you don't deserve good from God. You deserve condemnation from God. And now you're ready to understand grace. And so I'm so excited about that. In light of Ephesians 2, 1, 2, and 3, we're incapable, we're unwilling... We're not meeting God halfway. We're not choosing God on our own. We're not cooperating. And a lot of you are going, okay, 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 let's keep going. Tell us another story or something. Well, let me just be controversial and say, so in light of Ephesians chapter 2, 1, 2, and 3, do we have free will or not? Dead in trespasses and sins. There's a cemetery just up the street. Try it after church with physically dead people. Just drive through. You don't even have to get out of your car. Just start yelling out the window. Get up! Get up! Let's go to Jimmy John's! Let's go to Golden Corral! Whatever you want to do. Come on! How many people are going to get up? They're physically dead. They're not free to go with you. They're incapable and unable because they're physically dead. And the Bible uses that imagery and describes you and me and all of humanity to say we're dead in trespasses and sins. No one has free will, spiritually speaking. You're free to act according to your nature. Okay, I'll give you free will. 
if you, want, if you want free will, you can keep it. You can keep that idol and put it in a special room in your house because we love free will. The Bible doesn't teach it, though. Unless you mean free to act according to your nature. And your nature is a child of wrath. And so everything you do is sinful. You're not capable of doing anything good in an uppercase G sense. Few things are as offensive to us than that. But my friends, you're not going to understand how great grace is. You're not going to understand how great the gospel is. You're not going to understand how great God is. Unless you understand. Dead in trespasses and sins. By nature, children of wrath. But now you're ready. Because you've all repented of your idols of free will. Stop giving them food. Verse 4. But God. You see? But God. It's not but we. But us. It's not, but God saw me reaching out to him because I have free will. No, but God has to do something. Look, but God, verse 4, being rich in mercy, he's not giving us the orge wrath that we deserve because of the great love with which he loved us. It's not because of the great love with which we loved one another. It's not because of the great love with which we loved him. It's with the great love with which he loved us. When we're dead, by nature, children of wrath. Verse 5, even when we were dead in our trespasses. Oh, here we go. Made us alive together with Christ. And then he says, by grace you have been saved. You want to understand what grace is? It's not a reward. It's understanding you were dead. And how about this? God made you alive against your will. Because your will was bound. It wasn't free. You were happy following Satan, happy following your own lusts, happy being a, a, by nature a child of wrath, not trying to meet God, God halfway. You were happy being dead. As weird as that sounds. Spiritually. Please, please notice in your Bible, I underlined it. Made us alive together with Christ. How is it that anyone goes from being spiritually dead to spiritually alive? God makes you alive. You, now you're kind of getting a taste of why Paul was so amazingly fired up and excited in chapter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It wasn't... I mean, just think about the, the kind of half-baked, lame-o, blame-o praise it would be if... Well, you know, that's where God saw that I was good on the inside and I was reaching out to Him. And so He reached out to me. And oh, I praise God. We should have the full throttle kind of praise in chapter 1 because He made us alive. We were dead. Absolutely amazing. Against our wills. Oh. Now, it doesn't mean it's more complicated. There's complications in how God changes our hearts and how God moves. There's a lot involved. But we're just doing the fly-by version. And we're never going to get done if I don't hurry up. But, but see, then, 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 and only then, how about at the end of verse 5, you can understand, by grace you have been saved. Don't read verse 5 without verses 1, 2, and 3. 
Then verse 6 says, And raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Untouchable. Awesome. Verse 7, So that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Yeah, you, you, can, you can kind of begin to see why it's immeasurable. It's awesome. It's abundant. He lavishes it upon us because we're not inherently good people trying to meet God halfway. That wouldn't be immeasurable riches of grace. That would be reward. Oh, I, I so badly want you to get this. Like last week we talked about election and predestination because those words are in chapter 1. And, and, and I know when those are such big pills to swallow and people just can't deal with it and they can't get over it, 99.9% of the time it's because they think somehow people are more than spiritually dead and deserving. You swallow this pill. <laughs> you can swallow any pill. <laughs> but it's so offensive because I think I deserve better. I'm a good person. But to the degree that I think that, I don't understand grace, I don't understand the gospel, I don't understand Jesus. And I know I'm stepping on some of your toes. And I'll be honest, I kind of like that. You know, I, I, I'm a sinner. <laughs> But that's not why I'm doing it. You've got to understand the gospel. The good news. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved. Oh, a lot of churches have changed their hymnals because they don't like that. Saved a wretch like me. Yeah, but we need to help people with their self-esteem. So they never understand grace? So they never understand the gospel? Okay. Verse, are we to verse 8 yet? Yes or no? Okay. Man, I don't even know what to talk about. It's just so good and... Verse 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith. Notice God saves. We don't save ourselves. Through faith. We know where the faith comes from in light of the context. It comes from God. It has to because he made us alive before this. Dead people don't believe. We think faith is a virtue. And in certain contexts it is a virtue. But faith is where you're trusting in God for redemption and salvation. But by the way, God has to make us alive together with Him or we're never even going to do the good thing of having faith. Verse 8 then says, And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. It's a great litmus, right? In verse 9. Any, any kind of religious perspective, whether it be using the name Christian or not, that says somehow it's you and God partnering, 
then there's room for boasting, you know it's counterfeit. Let's keep going. Having too much fun with this. Oh, no, let's not. Let's not do yet. Let me quote the Book of Mormon first. Um, Just to bring things to a shattering halt. You, You listen to this. And, and see if it sounds right to you. This is Second Nephi 25. I think it's 25. It's verse 25. I don't know what the chapter is. Maybe it's chapter... Eh, maybe it's chapter 25. Anyway. We are made alive in Christ because of our faith. It's not what Ephesians 2 says. The order in Ephesians 2 is God makes us alive and then we have faith. But how many evangelical Christians do you know who are functional Mormons in their theology, in their perspective? Because of our faith, because we're virtuous, God makes us alive. Well, dead people don't believe. Spiritually dead people don't. No, the Bible teaches, by way of contrast, God makes us alive. Dead, God makes us alive, and we believe in Jesus. The evidence of being made alive is faith. This is is mind-shattering. This is earth-rocking. But natural religion, no matter what its label, always goes to default. We're good, we do. God rewards, so we have boasting. Look at us. This church isn't for good people. Because Christianity is not about good people becoming better people. Christianity is about spiritually dead people being made alive by God's sovereign grace and worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ because He's a great and amazing and unmatched Savior. And it causes us to say, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's just astounding. Staggering. Verse 10. For we are His workmanship, His masterpiece. The Greek text says poema, sounds like our poem, and for good reason. We are His masterpiece, His, His, His work of art. Created in Christ Jesus. I love it that he uses creation terminology for salvation. Created. It's like we're recreated in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. My dad used to say, you can't make a purse out of a sow's ear. And, and that was just his way of insulting people. Something's bad and that bad, you can't ever make it good. Well, I'm here to tell you, you can make a purse out of a sow's ear. (laughs) Meaning, we're not inherently good. God saves us, not by our good works, because we don't have any, but for good works, because He has good works for us. So please make sure you understand this in your own mind, in your own heart, and also as you communicate with other people. Christianity has a category, has a place for good works. 
but it comes because of God's making us alive together. As a result of salvation, good works come. God gets the credit because he made them to begin with, but make sure you understand that there's fruit, there's, there's a result, there's an effect. But every religion on planet earth puts somehow maybe God and us together, somehow we're in the equation and we lead to salvation. And Christianity stands apart from all of them and says, no, God does it all. And think about it. What human being would make this thing up? Because it annihilates our pride. God saves and then God has good works for us to do, to show, to demonstrate. That should motivate us. It's crucial that we understand this. If you're wondering what the application is, you're wondering about wrong things. (laughs) Because the intent is to, to create a heart of gratitude and awe. Staggering awe that says, I, I, I had no idea. Or if you did have an idea, just, it's a great reminder and just to put everything in place. I mean, the, the, the application is worship. Or if you're believing right now that the, the, the perfect substitute Jesus died on the cross for your sins, having lived a perfect life, He's raised from the dead. And if you believe in Him, you'll have everlasting life. That's a promise. If you're, if you're doing that right now, I'm just going to let you in on a little secret. It wasn't because of your virtue or your merit that you came to believe in Jesus. God is working. God makes us alive together with Him. I mean, I didn't know this stuff when I first became a Christian. Did you? Some people do. I, just, I didn't know anything. I just know that they told me if I believe in Jesus, I'll be saved, like the Philippian jailer. I'm like, okay, sounds good to me. I'm believing in Jesus now. And that's good and right and awesome. Then you learn more and you're like, God made me alive? I mean, I was willing to admit I was a sinner, but I didn't really know what that meant. But we're starting to learn and grow and the gratitude and the significance. Okay, we better keep going. Man, this is just the best. Okay, I promise it still gets, it's not over, okay? It's going to keep getting better. No, that's not true. It's going to still be good. Verse 11, therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh. let Let me stop just for a second. Sometimes people tell us we should never think about bad things. We should never look at the past. The Bible actually encourages us to look at the past. Now, there's a certain sense, you know, forgetting what lies behind, pressing on to what lies ahead. We don't have to get caught up in our circumstances and just move on. But when it comes to the gospel and salvation and our sin and where we came from, actually the Bible pretty frequently is reminding us. Again, that kindles that heart of gratitude and that praise and that adoration. Here he's saying, remember some of us don't remember this because we actually don't, didn't even ever know this. 
Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles, a Gentile is anyone who's not a Jew. There's two categories in the Bible. There's Jew and Gentile. So we would, most of us, be Gentiles in the flesh. So they're without God, called the uncircumcision, by which is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hand. So Jewish boys and Gentile boys were distinguished because the Jewish boys were circumcised. They belonged to Israel. They belonged to the nation if they were Jews. Verse 12, remember that you were at that time, he's talking to Gentiles, at that time separated from Messiah, separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise. Remember that before God made you alive, before you became a believer, you were an outsider. God's nation is the nation of Israel in this context. They're the people who have God and the promises of God and those great promissory covenants. These gracious covenants. And he's saying, you need to remember, Gentile Christians, that before you came to know Christ, you were alienated from the people of God. You were outside. Having no hope. If you're alienated from the people of God, you have no hope, verse 12, and you're without God in the world. Remember that you were without God. Verse 13, but now, but now in Christ Jesus, you who, were one, who once were far off have been brought, uh, ushered, brought near. How? By the blood of Christ. For He Himself is our peace who has made us both, that's Jew and Gentile, one as, and has broken down in His flesh the dividing wall of hostility. We'll say more about that in a second. Let's keep going. By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that's that ceremonial law and its system, it's abolished with the finished work of Christ, but that used to separate you, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Just imagine the tension between Jew and Gentile, okay? The haves and the have-nots. And imagine it, especially in, in and around Jerusalem, where you've got the temple. And, you know, there's a, there's a certain place for Gentiles, but it's limited, and then the Jews are going to abuse it. You're, you're, if you're not a Jew, you're going to hate the Jews, probably. And if you're a Jew... You shouldn't, but there's a high possibility, at least at this point in time, based upon Jesus' rebukes, that you're going to hate Gentiles. You know? But he's arguing here that having peace with God now through Christ, brought near by the blood of Christ, actually when this happens, this happens. Because you're made part of the same family. You know, the solution to um, conflicts on the horizontal level is a solution on the vertical level. It's the foundation. It's the basis. Now, most of us don't really appreciate first century Jew-Gentile tension. 
But let me take a stab at an illustration that's not perfect that might help. We're all well well aware, most of us who are old enough and watch news, to know something about the tension in the Middle East now between Jew and Muslim. It's on the news. Stabbings, shootings, burning. It's, It's a pressure cooker. It's ready to blow up. intense. There's a hatred between the Muslims and the Jews. And here are the Jews and the Muslim prayer towers are going off and they don't worship the same God. It's intense to the point where they're killing each other. It's not a perfect illustration because it's not first century because Islam is not a first century religion. It came centuries later. But Islam is a Gentile religion because it's not Jewish. Shh, just, oh. A couple of you were just there two weeks ago, so, and you got to see it. Just in the Getting Started class, you were saying you heard the gunshots and the smoke. Now, if today one of those Muslims becomes a Christian, and it happens, and one of those Jews becomes a Christian, and it happens, they not only have peace with God, which they didn't have before, they have peace with each other. And to the degree that they don't, they should be scolded. Right? In a sanctified way. In light of what Scripture says. So you can take these people who hate each other more than you could even imagine. And now there's reconciliation. Boundaries gone. Now by way of application, just think about the conflicts that we have. Conflicts between believers, you you don't want to know the answer? The answer is to understand what God has done for you in Christ in the context of uh, chapter 2 of Ephesians. And now you you have a foundation to work with. You have a basis to work with. Because we're brothers and sisters in Christ no matter where we've come from, no matter what our distinctions are. Tremendously practical. Enough of that. Verse 17. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, because we were far off. We think we're close to God through our religion. We're not close to God through our religion. We're far off. Please remember the Gentiles weren't non-religious. They just weren't Jewish. One of the reasons the Jews would hate the Gentiles is because they were so religious. So you were far off, not close through your religion, but far off, and peace to those who were near. For through Him we both have access. Oh, here's the uniting factor. In one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens but you are fellow citizens that the saints with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. I mean, think about how fascinating the temple talk is. He's using temple talk. 
the temple talk, and he's using that kind of verbiage, but he's using it in a spiritual sense. And it's being built up, and it's growing, and it's all happening, Jew and Gentile, which is mind-rocking if you're a Gentile, because the temple is Jewish. And of course they've got a little spot for us here, but they treat us like second-class citizens anyway. It's all being built together, one spirit, the spiritual temple. And you say, I have a point of reference, and this is awesome. This is fantastic, and it's all because of Christ. It's what He has done. It grants equality, equal access to God through Christ. Verse 22 then says, In Him you also are being built together. Oh, again, we can't just have a right relationship with God. It goes, it, it, it affects the, the horizontal as well. Being built together into a dwelling place. Oh, that's temple talk. A dwelling place for God by the Spirit. What God is doing in the body of Christ, remember it's body of Messiah, it's a Jewish concept. What he's doing is he's building, he's growing, he's maturing, he's adding to the number, and now we have something far better than that temple that can be destroyed by human hands, and it would be destroyed in 70 AD. It's this spiritual temple that really ends up being Jew and Gentile body of Christ. What, what was a type, right, a prefiguring, shadow, anticipating, is now fulfilled in what God is talking about here in Ephesians chapter 2. So that's what I mean when I say, you know, this helps you under, understand both Testaments. Helps you to understand the Old Testament. You can go back now and read about the temple and all that stuff going on. And even in light of just this limited thing we've talked about today, you'll go, oh, I get it. I understand better. There's a lot of stuff I don't understand. But if I read fast enough, I'm okay. <laughs> I see what was being anticipated. I see where this was going. It was going in this direction of this magnificent spiritual building that God was planning all along through his predestining work from chapter 1 and it would be Jew and Gentile together because of Christ. Not only taking care of the peace and, uh, on this level, taking care of the conflict with peace through Christ, but even taking care of it on this level. And you go, yeah. Maybe just two things to end with, and that would be something I've already said. I couldn't stand it. I had to give away the good stuff in the lobby. This is, what we've been hearing about today, really, really does make Christianity different from every religion. It makes it unique. And so we could talk about today's religions. We could talk about young religions that haven't been around for very long, like Mormonism. It's not the only thing that separates us. Mormonism believes in many gods, that you could become God someday, that God the Father used to be a human being. That would make it patently anti-Christian. But we've seen today a little bit more why Mormonism and Christianity aren't the same religion. Because God doesn't see our good efforts and then make us alive. No, God sees that we're dead and he shows his love and he makes us alive together with him. We're passive. 
He makes us alive. Evidence then in faith, faith in Christ. And you might think that's kind of hateful for you to say such things. You need to know that they're not the same. Lest you think you don't have a wonderful, amazing opportunity and obligation to tell your Mormon friends about who God really is and how God really works. I'm so glad that someone insulted me and questioned the legitimacy of my faith. How dare you question my faith? Praise God that you did. Right? I thought I was a Christian. Till I read the text itself that said, will not inherit the kingdom of God. Huh. I better find out who this Jesus really is and how he really saves. It would be hateful to not help people. A second thing, oh, you know, it makes a different, Christianity is different from current Judaism. Not the same religion. Dare I say, not even the same God. Was the same God, but in denying Messiah, Savior, Jesus, who saves us only by His grace, only through faith, we can see then we don't have the same religions and they're not the same gods because if it was the same God you would find yourself seeing Jesus as Messiah and believing in Jesus as Messiah and if you're really truly believing that Old Testament it was designed from the very beginning to lead you to see Jesus as the antitype the fulfillment not the same religions not the same religion as Islam either for reasons we've already sort of talked about Another works-based religion. But please don't leave thinking, we're so much better. Why would I say that? You got to read Ephesians 2. <laughs> Dead in trespasses and sins like the rest of mankind by nature, children of wrath. Pride? No, humility. Wonder? Oh, <laughs> you know, why do I believe in Jesus? Well, because it's something God did in my heart. Why did he do that? I don't really know. I can say, well, because it was part of his purpose and part of his plan. But why? I, I don't know. And eventually you have to say, I can go back pretty far. I can go back as far as Ephesians 1. But then I have to say, I don't know. But you say, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that is where I wanted to end, and I already said it. That's what induces the praise. That's what induces the, the exaltation of Christ. That's why we don't say, God, we did it. Because God saves sovereignly. It's just awesome. Awesome, 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 awesome. I had the opportunity to share the gospel with people this week. I'm telling them to believe in Jesus. I'm telling them to believe in Jesus and they'll be saved and trying to explain more and more. But I also know full well that if they come to believe in Jesus, it wasn't because their faith is a virtue and God is rewarding them for their good faith. I know that God would cause them to be born again. I know that faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of Christ. And it frees me up. 
frees me up. I know I'm talking, how about this, to spiritual corpses. So the answer is not me being a better salesperson. The answer isn't me being more manipulative. The answer isn't an altar call with 78 verses of just as I am and lots of emotionalism. The answer is proclaiming Christ to them. Knowing full well that God has to do it. God has to cause them to be made alive. So preach Christ to everybody. But know for sure, right? Amen. We can clap in church today. Preach Christ to everybody. On cue. Preach Christ to everybody. Then what? Okay. All right. We can do it. That was so lame. You guys are just like. How about this? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Could we at least say that together? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, you guys sounded Presbyterian. Now let's, let's try to sound like Reformed Baptist, okay? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, now let's try to sound like people who are Christians. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? We say amen to that. All right, yeah, that's good. Man, got a long way to go. Frozen Chosen at Omaha Bible Church. Wow. We serve a great God and He is mighty to save. Remember that Jesus says, Come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, burdened with sin, and I will give you rest. Okay? I will give you rest. We're going to close the service right now. I'm going to pray and then we'll be done. Father, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for the fact that you... Make us alive. Our burden is for those we know who are not alive. And we know that it's ultimately up to you according to your sovereign purposes, and yet you call us to preach, you call us to pray. And so we pray, we pray that you would save many, and that we would be able to even be encouraged by seeing and witnessing people coming to know Christ that we would see people and hear of people believing in Christ for salvation. And that then, we, then we could help them understand that, that God did it, that God worked, and that God is to be praised. Motivate us. May we not leave passive. May we leave motivated because you're a great God who is mighty to save. In Jesus' name, amen.